Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental health nor emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he has gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as they individually and personally choose while accepting full responsibility for their own individual thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you are acknowledging that you and only you are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the host and creator of the show. I hope you're having the best week of the century and that you're getting to enjoy a bit of spring weather, depending on where you're at. I don't want to spend a lot of time beating around the bush today because, just like last week's episode, we have a ton of information to cover related to boundaries. And even so, we're not going to finish it today. So, we're going to enter a third part of this discussion next Thursday. Be sure to listen closely today so that when next week comes, you will have already processed everything we talked about today and you'll be primed and ready to absorb next week's insights most efficiently. I do want to share with you that uh, this podcast now averages about 4,500 listeners every seven days. Think about that. Every seven days, about 4,500 people are downloading or streaming this podcast. That intimidates me. I feel a bit of imposter syndrome kicking in when I think of that many people hearing my voice. Imposter syndrome is interesting. That's when a person who's genuinely an expert on a subject begins to question himself because he figures, surely, surely I can't be the one to know all this stuff when there are so many other much more brilliant people out there. So I'm not exaggerating. I do uh, feel that tinge of imposter syndrome every now and then, kind of this overwhelming like sense of, man, there are a lot of people depending on me. At any rate, 4,500 people every seven days blows my mind and humbles me. And honestly, I try not to think too much about it because if I allow myself to get self-conscious, the authenticity of my approach could be affected, and and I don't want that. What else? Oh, uh, yes. Walden, my horny cat, who's been driving me and at times you bonkers for the past several weeks, crying and crying and crying is finally going to get his surgery this Saturday. So when that happens, drinks and cigars for everybody are on me. Last but not least, I want to encourage you to check out my new website, thelastsymptom.com. Gives you the option of giving a financial contribution, if you're so inclined, to support my overall body of work, which includes this podcast. Now, back to boundaries. And you're going to have to follow me closely because at times you're going to forget that boundaries is our focus today. There are simply many, 
many aspects and principles involved with boundaries. And it's important to have a comprehensive understanding of all the elements that are involved and why they matter. You know, by the end of this, I want you to be able to set and enforce boundaries intuitively. I don't want you to have to look at a book and follow a list of uh, rules and guidelines for your boundaries. I want you to instinctively know, intuitively know, how to set boundaries that you can enforce with the objective. Eh, see there? With the objective of bringing about the types of outcomes or having the best opportunity to bring about the types of outcomes that you're interested in for yourself and for others. So with that in mind, I'm going to be sharing a lot of personal details today that I'd rather not share, but I'm going to have to do it anyway in the interest of, of your recovery. During the time my ex-wife and I were both dealing with the fallout from my major crisis, brought on by borderline personality disorder. I'll admit to you that I was not happy at all with her perspective on things. I felt indescribably betrayed and angry by so many of her decisions, and I was incapable of fully experiencing empathy for the pain she was dealing with. So understand that for me to now look back with profound gratitude, deep respect, and yes, Great love for her still, for what she endured, as well as for her unimaginable insight and wisdom. This is a major change of perspective for me. It took years, all seven years of my recovery, to accurately see my ex-wife's decisions and actions at that time in the proper context and to understand their true nature. Honestly, for most of that time, for most of those seven years, when I was working on myself and trying to recover from the disorder, I was utterly crushed and in excruciating pain. Logically, I understood most of the principles behind her decisions and actions, and I tried very hard to console myself with, with that rational knowledge. But knowledge and insight are two vastly different things. For most of those years, I, I couldn't help but feel tremendous bitterness toward her. And uh, while at the same time, knowing that the bitterness was not fair. And what an internal paradox that period of time was for me. True insight, my ability to genuinely understand and appreciate the full nature of her decisions was very slow in coming, so that it doesn't seem as if I'm speaking in riddles. Let me tell you plainly the situation I'm describing. My ex-wife and I lived a very comfortable life together. She was very beautiful, tall, blonde, fiercely intelligent. In fact, uh, I often told her, and I still feel this way today, uh, that her intelligence rivaled the intelligence of my best friend, Jordan, who I often talk about. Man, he was smart. Super, super smart. Could retain details and knowledge. Uh, you would not want to play him in Jeopardy or any other kind of game like that. 
she was the same way. She had a, a fierce intelligence that uh, was incredible to behold. Diana was her name, and uh, she was loved by everybody who met her. We were popular and admired in almost any social circle we joined. We both had very fulfilling, well-paying jobs, a nice home in a nice neighborhood in Philadelphia. New cars, which we updated every few years. Life was very stable. I was as close as I could be with my in-laws, often dropping in on them unannounced for a beer or a cup of tea, just because. We were close friends with all of our neighbors, and the, our neighbors would often spontaneously congregate in our front yard when I'd come home from work in the evenings, which would then lead to spontaneous get-togethers in the backyard with fires, music, drinks, things of that nature. This is what I had achieved by the time I was 30, an ideal life. But it was when I had everything and life was at its most stable when the effects of an eternity of having borderline personality disorder, unbeknownst to me, began to catch up to me. As a Spanish interpreter for a major hospital, I often encountered temptation at work. For years, for years there was simply a lot of flirting. In-person flirting. You know, I wasn't swapping uh, phone numbers with anybody or anything like that. And since people with borderline personality disorder rely on external forms of validation in order to feel good about themselves, I thrived on the attention that I got at work. Work was like living in a soap opera, and that's no exaggeration, where I was the star. It was an alternate reality for me. You see, home was one reality where I played a part as if in a movie and work was a separate reality where I played another role. The calmer and more stable life got for me, the greater the pressures inside of me built. In short, the thing that was happening is that the fewer distractions I had outside of myself, the fewer external distractions I had, the louder the noise inside of myself became. The louder the noise inside of me became, and the more stable life was in general, the more distraction I depended on at work in the form of external affirmation. One late afternoon at work, I, walked, I was walking with a resident doctor. Uh, she was visiting from Denmark, and uh, she and I had been spending a lot of time together at work. And uh, one late afternoon or evening, I walked with her to her car while we were caught up in conversation. And, and she invited me to sit in her car to finish what we were discussing. This quickly led to sex right there in her car in the parking lot of the hospital. Extremely risky behavior. We, we both could have lost our jobs, and in a really embarrassing way. Immediately afterwards, I was crushed. I was mortified by what I had done. I had never, 
come anywhere near crossing that line before, and I was terribly ashamed of myself. I was grief-stricken. At the same time, there was definitely a heart-pounding, adrenaline thrill to it all. So I wallowed. I wallowed in this simultaneous shame and extreme high for a long time. I convinced myself that it was a simple, spontaneous mistake, a one-time thing, and that I could somehow make up for this mistake by never letting it happen again and by loving my wife extra hard. (laughs) I put that in air quotes. By loving my wife extra hard and that this would compensate for this line that I had crossed. You probably know how this goes. I did not treat my wife any better after I crossed this line than before I had crossed it. In fact, I began treating her worse. Why? Well, because the infidelity was further feeding my own sense of self-loathing and self-hate. This increased, unidentified shame was translating into more impatient, confrontational behavior toward my wife. Also, my attempts to now cease all flirting and play it straight at work was now depriving myself of the external affirmation I depended on in order to fuel my sense of self-worth. That's a big conversation for another time. People with borderline personality disorder cannot generate their own inner sense of self-worth for themselves, as emotionally healthy people do. So they have to get it from external sources, just like a a snake that goes out and sits in the sun because it's cold-blooded, needs uh, external forms of heat to heat its body up. It can't do it internally for itself, and that's that is the state of things for people with borderline personality disorder. They they cannot generate their own feelings of feeling good about themselves. They need external f- sources for that. What else was happening at home? As had always been the case, I myself was blocking genuine intimacy between my wife and myself. I was incapable of genuine intimacy, which is a human need, and we've talked about that in the past. So my poor wife was quietly suffering and unhappy, and I was suffering as well, but I wasn't conscious that I was suffering. It was just a matter of time. The second affair happened in an office, then a third affair, then a fourth, all with different women. Before long, things were out of control. I was being compelled by forces I had no understanding of whatsoever. Eventually, this all came to light when in desperation and unbearable shame, I went to my wife and I revealed everything to her, the full details coming out over the course of some time. Now, this is where I'm going to end the story about what I myself was experiencing. Obviously, there were many other factors in play besides infidelity alone. A cruel temper, for one. Depleting our savings on frivolous things. Other reckless behaviors. Cheating was simply the most obnoxious of them all, which brought everything to a head. I simply feel that uh, in order to do my my ex-wife's story justice and to really set up our discussion about boundaries moving forward, 
it's important to put things in specific, unambiguous context, even though I would prefer not to share those details about myself with anybody. Let's go from that conversation into a conversation about unconditional love. And remember, our primary focus is boundaries. The reason why it's so important to talk about unconditional love is because your idea of unconditional love, the nature of it, if not accurate, will collide and interrupt your ability to place healthy boundaries on people and then enforce them. As I've explained before, I shouldn't have to use a qualifying term like genuine or authentic when I talk about love because it's redundant. A person is either experiencing love or she's experiencing something else. While it's true that there are different types of love, love towards friends and family, romantic love, principled love, etc., every one of these types of authentic love meet certain requirements. When what you are experiencing fails to meet these requirements, no matter how powerful your feelings might be toward the person, it simply is not an example of love. It's an example of something else. That something else might be infatuation, idealization, strong physical attraction, attachment, an unhealthy sense of ownership or control over another human being, sexual craving, obsession, desperation to not be alone, unhealthy dependence. It may be lots of things that genuine love either does not allow for at all or does not allow for absent other qualities. The reason why I have to use terms such as genuine and authentic so repetitively when I talk about this subject is because many people in today's world truly do not have the faintest notion of what genuine love is. This is in part thanks to all the books, movies, songs, and poems, which by far and away all embrace and promote completely unhealthy concepts. Therefore, you, me, everybody, we're all raised unavoidably consuming these distorted notions. And so it's little wonder that at some point these distorted notions will conflict with reality. You see, our environment bombards us with these false ideals. All the music you're listening to, I guarantee it. Out of a out of hundred songs you listen to, only one will properly express the true nature of genuine love. All of the others are lying to you. And so the first time you and I as people, we feel so much as attraction or attachment toward another person that doesn't go away for a few months, we erroneously identify that as love. This false love can be really convincing. Because for one reason, what, what does a person who has never experienced genuine love have to compare it to. It's, it's like a man 
growing up on a flat prairie, hearing stories all of his life about what a mountain looks like. So he goes through life imagining it, what it must be like to see a mountain. And he goes about his youth with these notions in his head. Then one day, he's traveling, and he sees a big hill, an enormous hill. And what does he think? He thinks, my God, look at that mountain. But a big hill cannot compare to what he would see in the Swiss Alps, can it? So while he's experiencing an inferior approximation to a mountain, and he finds the experience exciting and enjoyable, he still has not had the genuine experience. That authentic experience is still waiting for him out there. How sad it would be if this man stopped at this experience, at the hill, convinced that he had finally encountered his mountain, that he had finally experienced what he had heard in the stories throughout his childhood. This is what people do every single day. I'm taking time to explain these things because in order to truly set the stage for why boundaries matter and, and how they can be most effective, we must first establish what love is and what it is not. Only then can we begin approaching the subject based on a healthy, accurate premise. Here's your takeaway point. Genuine love behaves healthfully always. Genuine love behaves healthfully always. When what you are experiencing that feels like love to you consistently behaves unhealthily, that is proof positive that what you are experiencing is not love. It is something else. Since genuine love always behaves healthfully, it has the strength to give the target of that love what that person truly needs for his or her long-term well-being, even when it may come at great cost to the person himself or herself who feels that love for the other. So should your love for the person with borderline personality disorder be unconditional? The answer to that question is yes, most certainly and inarguably. But the term unconditional is not another way of saying that it allows for any sort of behavior whatsoever or that it exists without any boundaries. Why? Because living with boundaries and accountability is what is best for people, all people, to enjoy a truly healthy life. Remember, genuine love always acts in a way that is best for the target of that love. Therefore, genuine love has boundaries. It enforces accountability. 
It has the courage to allow consequences, sometimes even excruciatingly painful consequences, to happen. But does the loved one in force allow or follow through with these things from a place of spite or anger or revenge? No, they don't. Because love never behaves that way. Love never acts out of spite, anger, or revenge. Rather, the loved one enforces, allows, and follows through with these things from a place of love. Indeed, genuine love demands it. Because what is the person who loves most interested in? Not in what feels best for himself or herself. No, the person who genuinely loves is most interested in ensuring that he or she behaves in a way toward the target of that love that has the best possible chances of bringing about the greatest long-term benefits related to that person's well-being. In the previous episode, I used the example of taking my three-year-old daughter to a man where I then stood by and watched while he inflicted pain upon her. The man was a doctor, and the pain was in the form of a flu shot. I hate, I, I hate to see my daughter in pain. In fact, the mere th- thought, the, if I imagine her in pain, that is excruciating for me. And yet, every year, for three years now, I've taken her to a doctor to be poked and jabbed and have painful things happen to her. Why? Because my love for her demands that I put my feelings, my feelings, aside and do what is best for her long-term well-being. Hey, what's the number one factor involved in genuine recovery from borderline personality disorder? Or alcoholism, or sex addiction, or narcissistic personality disorder, or heroin addiction, or... Take your pick. What is the number one factor involved in genuine recovery? Reaching a place of genuine sincerity and self-initiation. If you're interfering with this process from ever occurring by shielding the person you care about from consequences, having no boundaries, and just enduring any sort of behavior whatsoever. Is this love? No. It's something else. It's something else that is a detriment to both the person you claim to love as well as to you yourself. 
A person with borderline personality disorder who's never held accountable, who has no boundaries enforced upon him or her, and who is shielded from consequences, will simply never experience hitting rock bottom. He or she will never reach a state of desperation and begin to truly understand that there is something wrong with his or her approach to life that only he or she can address. He or she will never find the motivation to investigate for himself or for herself what he or she might be able to correct and then make a genuine effort to follow through on those corrections. And if this is the case, he or she will also never, never genuinely recover from borderline personality disorder. He or she will live out his or her entire life caught in this cycle, this distorted mindset, which brings him or her pain up on pain. He or she will never experience true love because it is an impossibility as long as borderline personality disorder exists within that person. Furthermore, if he or she goes on to have children, those children will only inherit an emotionally unhealthy education from him or her. And those children will then grow up to pass emotional unhealth to their children as well. This is how emotional disorders passed along from one generation to the next. Children receive their emotional education directly from their primary caregivers. Emotionally unhealthy people are unable to give their children emotionally healthy educations. That is an impossibility. So I hope the seriousness of the greater picture is becoming clear. Genuine love does not allow for the above scenario to play out without doing whatever it can to prevent it. Just because breakups are painful, or just because one doesn't want to rock the boat, or just because one can't imagine life without the other person, or for any reason. If you love somebody, and you can help them, you do it. How can you help a person with emotional disorders? Boundaries. Boundaries. Is the, is the seriousness of this starting to get, get through? The courage to follow through and give, the, and give a loved one what they truly need, even at the expense of our own preferences and feelings, is, is a demonstration of unconditional love, even when it might mean the end of the relationship itself. Now, you don't have to break off your relationships this, this week. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. There is an art to creating and enforcing boundaries. And basically, it involves starting with small boundaries and working up. For example, my wife did not say, if you ever make a mistake again, I'm going to divorce you. 
That's not what she did. She looked a little bit ahead, picked a boundary that she thought was reasonable and fair, that I could respect and observe, and she said it. And she said, if, if you break this boundary, this is what I will do. What she did not do is go to the utmost extreme right out of the gate. She didn't say, if you fart in bed, I'm going to uh, divorce you and take all of our property. <laughs> That's not a very realistic or reasonable boundary. We'll, we're going to, I'm not going to talk too much about this particularly today because that's what we're going to discuss in detail next week. For now, let's finish by talking about boundaries as it relates to you yourself, what your primary focus should be when creating boundaries. When, when you're creating boundaries, is the purpose for those boundaries to control another human being? No, that is not the purpose of boundaries. To whose benefit do boundaries primarily serve? Your partner's or yours? Let's see. There's a reason when you're traveling on a jetliner that you're instructed every time you board the plane to first put your oxygen mask on before attempting to help others in the case of an emergency. The reason is that you can't help others if you yourself are incapacitated or compromised. So what do you think? Is it selfish of you to attend to your needs before helping your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your parents, or your children to put on their oxygen masks? Clearly, not only is it not selfish, but it is the only rational way to handle the situation. You probably see where this is going. What should be your priority at all times, even when dealing with somebody you care tremendously about who has an emotional disorder? The answer is your emotional and mental health. This does not change just because your children may be minors. The reality is, if you are not emotionally and mentally healthy, you are going to end up harming your children in the long run, rather than helping them. Our number one priority at all times is our own emotional and mental health. If you genuinely care about somebody who has borderline personality disorder, that authentic concern will translate into you doing everything necessary to view your, your emotional and mental health as your number one priority at all times. You do this because you recognize that maintaining your good emotional and mental health is imperative to any ability you might have to give another person what is best for their long-term well-being. If you are a person who cares about somebody with borderline personality disorder, you have been mistreated by them. It just goes with the territory. I don't have to know your specific circumstances or story to know that this is true. How do you deal with the pain of that abuse? 
Well, as I mentioned in previous episode of this podcast, along with my personal knowledge and personal experience, I also have the example of my ex-wife, Diana, to go on here. At the time I was causing her the worst emotional pain in her life, I was unable to empathize. Now, I tried to mimic empathy. I tried to go through the motions of what I knew or thought that empathy entailed, but it was superficial. In the throes of my borderline personality disorder crisis, not only did the disorder make it impossible for me to experience genuine empathy, but I was too numbed out with my own inner pain to truly be able to tap into the feelings of others anyway. Now, post-recovery and with my empathy restored, I get sick to my stomach over what I can only imagine were the unbearably painful feelings I put her through. To say that I regret having caused her that pain and that I wish with every bone in my body that I had a time machine and could go back and prevent that experience for her is an understatement. Yet somehow she had the presence of mind to mostly, mostly, make the best decisions that were possible given the circumstances nonetheless. You know, when your heart is breaking and you're in the midst of a tremendous howling storm, it is very difficult to see beyond that chaos and think clearly. So when I look back at the decisions she made and the way she handled herself, it impresses me to a degree that I cannot properly express. I consider her example, Diana's example, my ex-wife, to be the definitive template for anybody who's in a similar position. Somehow she recognized that her emotional health, her emotional health, was the priority. She then put her entire focus there and left me to figure out things for myself for a while. Some people listening to this will think that this was cold of her, an abandonment just at the moments when I needed her the most. And to be honest, I myself felt that way for many years. But that is distorted, inaccurate thinking. As I talked about in the last episode, even though... Her entire focus was um, on her emotional health, even though that was her priority. As she went on regaining her footing, she periodically reached out to me, carefully, to check up and see how I was doing. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't progressing during this period. I was still as emotionally unhealthy as ever. I wasn't self-initiating at all. Before all was said and done... I ended up ignoring and violating her boundaries until she had no choice but to completely cut off contact. And I discussed this last last week. I explained how it was uh, necessary, ultimately, for me to lose everything before I woke up to the realities of my emotional unhealth. It I had to hurt. I had to hurt a lot 
before that happened. But the takeaway point here is that uh, Diana did everything she could do for me as far as facilitating my own efforts, my own self-initiation, without neglecting her own needs in the process or inappropriately lowering her own needs down to second, third, or fourth place of importance. I know that during this period of time, she spent an increased amount of time with her family and friends. She stayed busy. She made plans with our friends who were no longer my friends. And she traveled. All the while, she was reading, researching, and thinking deeply about her situation as it related to my situation. When she encountered articles that explained her feelings, her feelings and the reasons behind her decisions, she would forward them to me. She also wrote me several comprehensive personal letters explaining her feelings, her reasoning, and her hopes. I partially shared one of these letters with you in the, in the last episode. Let me tell you that at the time, these forwarded articles and these personal letters had no effect on me whatsoever. It hasn't been until as recently as these past few years that they have finally had the effect on me that I know she was hoping for back then. And, of course, the, the tears roll when I read them now. And, uh, yes, they're tears of regret but there are also tears of gratitude, of immeasurable respect, and of relief. I saved those letters like a World Series trophy. They're some of the most valuable things that I own. What courage and wisdom. I wouldn't be here where I am now, enjoying emotional health for the first time in my life had it not been for her doing difficult things, all which at the time I vehemently disagreed with and was unable to see the greater reasons for. Now, to finish up our conversation here today, let's talk for a minute about abandonment. See, these are all factors. These are all factors related to boundaries. A lot of you aren't putting up boundaries or enforcing boundaries because you think, well, that would be abandoning, abandoning a person while they're in a bad way. To put it plainly, any concept of abandoning as it relates to adult human beings, it's a lie. It's a distorted concept. Adult human beings cannot be abandoned. If you're an adult human being, you cannot be abandoned. A lot of people are going to have a hard time accepting this. Children can be abandoned because they're dependent on caregivers. We call them dependents because their capacity, the very state of their development, makes them inherently dependent on others. They're dependents. Their development is not far enough along to allow them to be self-sufficient, that is, to be caretakers of their own emotional, physical, and mental needs. But is this true for adults? No. Maybe you're thinking that some adults are unable to take care of their own emotional needs. 
But this isn't about what they're able or unable to do. It's about what they're capable of doing. And if you're unclear about what the difference is between capability or capacity and ability, you need, you need to go to thelastsymptom.com, visit the article library, and read the article there entitled, How Your Inability to Play the Fiddle can teach you what you're capable of. So abandonment, as it relates to the emotional support and needs of human adult beings, adult human beings, is an outright lie. You cannot abandon another adult human being in this sense. Each of us, as adults, are capable of and responsible for caring for our own needs. This is what adulthood is. Adulthood is finally reaching a state of natural development where we're capable, we're capable of caring for for our own needs. We leave a state of childhood dependence behind and we become capable of being responsible and independent. So, abandonment is fiction. It's a lie. This lie is endorsed and promoted by a lot of people. And every time that the professional community as a group allows you to use this term, abandoned or abandonment or fear of abandonment, without bothering to correct your distorted thinking, as well as when they themselves carelessly throw the term around, it's negligent. There's no excuse for professionals to be lying to you that way. When you're there talking to them about your fear of abandonment and they don't explain to you why you can't be abandoned, why that's impossible, that is professional negligence. So the person with borderline personality disorder cannot accuse others of abandoning him or her. He or she can't try to sway your Use of boundaries by guilting you with this fictional term. The distorted notion that you are abandoning them if you want to set a boundary or if you want to uh, separate for a while or if you want a divorce or, you know, whatever the, the boundary that you're setting might be. This idea that you are abandoning, abandoning them in their moment of need should not be a factor in your decision-making at all. The sooner that you can accept and, and understand the reality of the nature of this thing, the more effective your boundaries are going to be. Now, here are the questions we've yet to address in this series, and which I'll break down and discuss in next week's episode. Number one, there's two primary ones. How can I define... What are reasonable expectations as opposed to unreasonable expectations for me to have toward the person with borderline personality disorder? And for those of you who have borderline personality disorder, how can you define what are reasonable expectations as opposed to unreasonable expectations for you to have toward yourself? Number two, we're going to talk about the art of setting and enforcing boundaries. And I'll use some specific examples 
As I mentioned earlier, does your first boundary have to be leaving or divorcing a person? Or cutting parents out of your life entirely and things like this? No, it doesn't. You, you work up to these sorts of dramatic boundaries, but we will discuss this in greater detail next week. Folks, thanks for listening. I'm going to have a hard time editing this down to under an hour. Hope you have a great week. As always, thanks for listening.